Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kel on Earth Revisited, where you will travel with me, Kelly Karg, back through my life and musings as I celebrate the milestone of 100 chapters and more of the original blog. I have started from the beginning and continue to move through 15 years of observations as I find my voice and my place in the world and reflect on who that person was. So come with me a year after I began this project into part four as I celebrate the achievement of longevity and literacy. Oh, the lessons we are learning. Part four, chapter five, Borneo Rehab, February, 2012. Visiting a country for the first time is always an exciting and nerve-wracking experience. This is especially true when it's a first-time visit in a country where few people speak English, where there is a long layover in said country's capital, and where locals look up in shock when you enter a room. Me, and 41 12-year-olds. This was definitely a first for me. I've never taken kids on a field trip farther than the zoo, never with me at the helm, never into a foreign land. 41 kids, four teachers, took the long, the too long flight to Borneo in February this year, where despite all my apprehension, things went pretty darn well, considering this was not how I generally enjoyed my holidays. Despite the major sugar high induced by preteens' uncanny ability to find sugar, any sugar, the moment a parent tearfully waves from the security line of an airport, the kids were loaded, intact, onto the airplane that would deliver us into the palm plantations of Sandakan, Borneo, in the middle of the night. The week progressed as it would inevitably, with a slow phase out of sugar and blatant excitement about complete lawlessness they expected. But what I remember about it was the many opportunities for participating in the rehabilitation of animals and waterways, along with the education of the local children regarding the issues facing their own country. We were able to get hands on in Sandakan and further into the into Sabah state or the district on the east coast to hopefully show our kids a world beyond Singapore. At the beginning of the week we worked with sun bears and orangutans at the Sepalak Center where they take abused, lost, or orphaned wild animals and gradually reintroduce them into the wild. I just loved how the organization allows for the fact that each animal works at its own pace, dealing with the individual trauma that had taken it away from its native environment in its own time. Our second stop, after hanging around the wildlife rehab centers, was upriver to a village where the organization based its reforesting branch, or where that branch was located. The company we worked with, APE, or APE, Animal Projects and Environments, had made it an important mission to not only educate, but to actively help recreate livable ecosystems. Malaysia is the world's biggest producer of palm and palm oil. I thought this sounded like a good thing until I realized what happens to the land where the palm is being planted. Palm oil is the dominant oil used in junk foods all over the world, and the more popular it is becoming, the more old-growth forests are being raised to plant new palm. Borneo, which is a large island, half Indonesia, half Malaysia, with tiny little Bruni, Br- Brunei <laughs> chilling up at the top of the oil-rich Malaysian half, is where you can find over 10,000 species that can be found nowhere else on Earth, many of which aren't even documented yet, which I can personally attest to since I got some kinds of wicked sandfly bite that made my hands look like lepers, like I was leprous for a while, like my skin looked, anyway, 
I digress. The point is, the more forests that are cut down in Borneo to provide oil for our Pringles and our Kit Kat bars, the less habitable space there is for all the beautiful and not so beautiful, stupid standflies, species that need it to flourish. I know your next question, but Cal, why can't the animals live in the plant, plant, palm plantations? Great question. You'd think that it was still a tree that's being grown, so what's the big diff? It is absolutely breathtaking walking through a palm plantation, and not because of the uniformity and the lush green, and the giant palm nuts just chilling. It's the silence that gets you. There is nothing that we could see or hear that lives there. Rainforests are diverse ecosystems that need all the bits and pieces to work together to grow and maintain that environment. Most animals don't eat palm nuts. Birds have difficulty making nests in palm trees. Bugs don't get the food they need from such a monotonous diet. And a plantation is not an ecosystem. Ask anyone, ever. So our trip down the river was to see the repercussions of this. Yes, the orangutans and sun bears are victims to this, since their ability to live and wander and forage is contingent upon how much space there is available for everyone. Out there, we didn't just look at the sad facts that lay before us. We also picked up machetes and rakes and burlap bags to see what kind of work needed to be done to start fighting the destruction of an environment. We cleared water hyacinth from waterways since it, like so many things, has become an invasive species to this land, and it has choked up entire channels for transport and water supply. We collected bag after bag of it to chop up and use, not only as paper, which the kids totally had fun doing, but also as mulch to help the trees grow that we were planting, which we did on my 30th birthday. Our goal for the afternoon of February 23rd was to plant 200 trees in a semi-cleared area. It was a rough task considering every group of kids has a few slackers, a few jokesters, and a few whiners, but by this point in the week most of them just put their heads down and worked. They knew what we were doing was important and that despite living in Singapore we didn't have to be cloistered princesses all the time. I was proud of them because there was lots of steps that uh, were involved in digging up the absurdly dense clay that was the forest floor and expecting a tiny little sprout to take root and grow. It was serious, we had to do it right, otherwise the volunteers doing this work elsewhere in the forest would have to come back to our plot and replant, wasting time and trees because we were screwing around. I heard later that not one of our trees had to be replanted. Go ISS. Uh, APE, uh, APE, and Sepaloc Rehabilitation really are great organizations whose info I will include here for anyone who would like to help their programs. It's www.apemalaysia.com and www.orangutan-appeal.org.uk. From Sepaloc, our group has adopted four orangutans from different ages for a year. And from APE, we have provided a group of local children to experience the same education that we had over the course of our week. Children in Borneo only know that the palm plantations are a part of life right now, and they may have noticed a change in the wildlife and general state of the environment, but they do not know that the issues are connected. We were able to visit groups of children, both in the village and on a plantation, and played games with them and the kids requested that our money go towards those same kids having an enrichment week like ours. We who don't live in rainforests have the opportunity to slow down the destruction of rainforests. To help specifically in Borneo, check your ingredients of the food that you buy for palm oil in more than just junk food. Vegetable oils and corn oils are far better in the long run. 
Uh, and I'm going to end it there. For anyone who's ever been on one, school trips uh, pose a lot of unique challenges, mostly because while kids are kids and can be generally predictable, um, sometimes the predictability is, what's predictable is that they are going to be individual or they're going to um, surprise you on, on some level. Um, I was quite surprised with this group that uh, they they settled so well. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of school trips that, you know, when you go out, the kids actually do, they're nervous and they're, they, you know, make silly choices and whatever, but there's like, there's a certain sense of a boundary um, that they typically know better than to cross. And these trips in particular, it's why I, I enjoyed them so much. Uh, I think what happened, I, this is the, I didn't talk about my trip, my first year in Singapore. And I think that's because we went to Thailand and we went to the Prem Center outside of Chiang Mai, I think, but I didn't write a chapter on it. And so the fact that I, I wrote one on this one, clearly it must have spoken to me and I, it did like if we're looking at the work that these organizations are doing um it's it's pretty impactful stuff like they have full um workshops to bring kids to borneo and actually engage with sun bears um and which basically, if, if you think about what they look like, my pictures of them for, for this were not all that great and they were in cages and it looked kind of sad, but they, the kids had made them, um, what are they called? Uh, had made them little um, toys with like honey and, and different things in them for, for the, the sun bears to kind of work on their foraging skills because a lot of the the sun bears that were at the facility were um, trapped by um, local villages or or particular people who would either use them as kind of a tourist attraction or just kind of keep them locked up and it, yeah it's it's not nice. I saw similar situations like this in Ukraine for black bears um, where oh, we've got a bear, so we're going to keep it in a cage and kind of starve it, keep it chained up. It, it, so a lot of these bears were not, were traumatized. Um, so when the kids, they were learning how to make like little, they would kind of glue or, or tie a thicker rope to like sticks and like bark and um, kind of put some uh, honey or jam or other things on it, if I remember correctly. Uh, so that the the bears would learn how to kind of break bark apart to forage. I was going to describe what they looked at, looked like, and got sidetracked. They uh, are probably twice the size of like koala bears, uh, and have kind of similar long claws because they are 
vegetarian bears, uh, and they they're foragers. So they eat a lot of bugs and insects and um, uh, worms and things like that, smaller things that they're subsisting on. Um, and so the kids created little manipulatives to help the rehabilitation of the bears. Uh, and then we we learned about how the orangutans' habitat was being destroyed, and because I don't know I, I don't know if you've seen that awful video. It was it's been out several years now about uh, an orangutan attacking a bulldozer. Um, oh, it's awful. But that's that's kind of what happens is that if if orangutans don't have the availability of branches to swing from. Uh, orangutans very rarely come out of the trees like they don't walk around on the on the forest floor that they, they they use their arms as transport so when they're down on the ground that's when they're vulnerable to predators it's when they're vulnerable because their lower limbs don't work as adeptly as their upper limbs anyway so these um orangutans are being pushed away from natural habitats and so and they're so they're not able to forage as much so uh, the image for today's podcast is um orangutans swinging to feeding time so there are there are some orangutans that had been there for years and some of them were actually in the rehabilitation center kind of on the outskirts some of them are within and are still being kept in enclosures so that they can develop their skills and it's it's very i think it's so well done that they kind of gradually allow some of these orangutans once they're released some of them come back and and gradually they start getting more and more confidence to go out and um, find their own food and sometimes they they just don't come back and sometimes they're they come back just not to eat but just kind of to socialize so that was that was really interesting to see we also were in borneo to look at the significance not only of human intervention but also the mangrove not the mangroves the water hyacinth which is an invasive species in borneo and so um kind of getting in there and yeah 12 year olds were rocking the machetes man they were getting in there and like hacking away at this water plant and we took it back and did things with it but uh you know we made paper which is i think i still have a, a sheet of it somewhere um that it's they, they learn how to kind of dry it out and everything it's it was just such a really wonderful trip where yes taking kids somewhere and i've got several other chapters about taking kids on trips but uh this one it, it felt really nice um i had a great group of adults with me um and i don't remember distinctly any kids that were awful i mean some of them you know what 12 year old isn't nervous about going out and doing <sighs> things like that. Yeah, some of them are adventures and some of them are like, um, I don't work with my hands. Like this really freaks me out. And then, oh my gosh, you guys, the sand flies. I thought I had um like one doctor told me I had like foot and mouth disease. Like my hands were completely debilitated by this trip. Um I got like uh there were bites in like the webbing of my fingers and my like when you even just going to open your doorknob my hands were so sensitized 
that I, I, if I just tried to open a door, just brushing the back of my hand on, on the doorknob or something, it was so painful. Like it, it, it felt like it was attacking my nerves and it, it, we, we realized that it was sand flies. And so the next year we, I did the same trip the year after and we had the kids wearing, um, gloves (laughs) because I got it. And I think one other student or maybe two other students had these awful, awful welts on our hands for like a week. But, um, again, like we need to have access to these places because we are not the only people on people. We're not the only beings on this planet. Um, so the fact that these palm oil plantations deforest so hardcore, like, and I was, I was one of those ignorant people. I'm like, well, you can't deforest by putting up another tree. Yes. Yes, you absolutely can. Um, because it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a symbiotic relationship that they are creating. They're creating a monopoly in economic terms, but also in ecological terms and monopolies or one, um, monocultures do not create thriving environments that are sustainable. So, um, yeah, I hope you check them out. I believe these, um, facilities are still working. Um, and I, I haven't looked in years, so I want to look in and see, uh, how, how the progress is going, how they've survived COVID. Um, and I, I think that was a great organization and any way that we can to support them and to support their work by making choices as consumers to not choose palm oil. It's, it's still very relevant and it's very important to our infrastructure and our economy that we can use other oils that are not so destructive. So yeah, go team. It was a great time. Uh, I don't often have clear, strong memories of trips because I, I struggle with them. (laughs) I'm not good at them. I know teachers who are like, that's their favorite thing to do. And to me, it's, it's so stressful because I don't like being the adult in charge. (laughs) I, I am a breathing adult. Sure. And I, I know I'm competent, but that doesn't mean that I want to take responsibility for all these kids. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I'm not a parent. I'm barely a plant parent. And that's what I'm comfortable with. So that was a very fun trip. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me here at Cal on Earth Revisited. I hope to see you next time where... As always, when I go home in the summer, I have to have some kind of uh, psychological, not a break, but uh, process. Processing happens, a little process. And this was a significant year of fire in Denver. This was a, a summer of smoke. So let's see what happens then, huh? See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>